Now, to begin with, we want to remind, I want to remind you of something that, that we know, but just let's just say it again to remind ourselves. You are saved by grace. You are not saved by any of your works. Let's remember that right off the bat, because we are going to talk a little bit about works today, but, but we want to be reminded that we are saved by the works of Jesus and the works that he has done on our behalf. We cannot save ourselves. Secondly, we want to remember that we are sanctified by Jesus as well. We, we do not cleanse ourselves. We do not fix ourselves up and make ourselves presentable. It is Jesus that does this work for us. He takes the defensive, not so pleasant hearts, emotions, personalities, and makes those into beautiful and God-honoring individuals. This is a work of Jesus. However, however, myself and you all, we don't, just, we don't just naturally know how to live in God-honoring ways. It's not a natural response. I see my friend Peter Landless here sitting on the front row. If I'm raised with one sort of way of eating, I don't naturally know that there's another way that would be more pleasing to God to eat. And that's, that's why we have the scriptures. The scriptures help us to, to understand these things and God uses the scriptures to convict us in areas of our life in order that we may grow in sanctification. It's still Jesus doing the work in us. It's still Jesus cleansing us, but, but he uses the scriptures to teach us. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 that, that all scripture is what? inspired by God, is God breathed, whatever translation you're using, and it's good for doctrine. I don't naturally know theology. None of you, none of us naturally know theology. Some people think they do, like this is what I believe about God and that's, that's, that's from God. Well, well, we don't naturally know doctrine or theology. We, we, we are convicted about it. We come to understand it through scripture. But the Bible also says there in that same chapter that, that, that scripture is not only profitable for doctrine, but also for reproof and, and for correction and for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God, the woman of God may be complete, may be thoroughly equipped, equipped for the works of God. And so today we are looking at that aspect about how we can be thoroughly equipped to work for God, to be witnesses for God, how we can be instructed in righteousness. We're not learning about this so that we can be saved through these means, but rather as saved individuals, we want to live in response to God and his teachings and have him change us from the inside out. So turn with me today to the book of Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14, as we continue the series through the book of Genesis, it's been a few weeks since we were in Genesis. It's been a couple weeks since we were there, and so let us set the situation. Lot, the nephew of Abraham, and Abraham have both, both have growing herds. They're shepherds, and they both have growing herds. And, and these growing herds have become a conflict. They, they, there's, there's been family strife because of, of, of their, their growing uh, uh, herds of sheep and goats and whatever else they have. And Abraham does this very selfless thing. He condescends, even though he has the right to be the authority and to make the decision, he condescends and he says to Lot, Lot, you choose where you wanna go and I'll go the opposite direction. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. You choose and I will go in the opposite direction. We don't want any strife between us. And so Lot makes a choice. And the Bible tells us that Lot chooses an area that is described as like the garden of God. 
In other words, it's like to his eyes, to his perception, it's like the Garden of Eden. And Lot says, that's the place I want to go. That's the place I want to be. And, and unfortunately for Lot, not only does he think that this place is like the Garden of God, not only does he think that this place is beautiful, but unfortunately for Lot, it seems like a lot of the bad folk in the area agree with that. And so they've all settled in that territory. They've all settled in that area. They look at it, he looks at it, man, this is beautiful. It doesn't take time to, to get to know the community. Instead, he goes right in there and he discovers it's not quite the best place. And at the beginning of chapter 14, after this decision is made, a war breaks out amongst the various groups that are down there living around Lot. And Lot and his family get caught up in it and they are taken captive. They're taken captive. Abram learns of his nephew's situation, his nephew's misfortune, and he takes a small number of men. He takes 318 trained men, and he goes in what I believe is probably an inspired uh, military tactical move. He divides his forces, and at night they, uh, they attack the enemy, and they overcome them, and they get Lot and his family all back. Acts chapter Genesis chapter 14, verse 16 reads, so he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods as well as the women and the people. And here is where I want us to pick up the story. But before I do that, I wanna say this about this chapter. There are a number of commentaries, uh, if we, commentaries that we would refer to as historical critical commentaries that believe this story is actually not true, that it was added later on in order to bolster the military prowess of Abraham. As I was reading through, I saw that. There's even, even, even uh, commentaries that do believe the story is true, but they believe it was, again, simply added on in order to, to uh, further strengthen Abraham's role within the Jewish nation or within the Jewish people. One commentary writer stated, this story has has, was, mo was included most likely to just further establish and boost the status of Abram. But, but I believe 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 is correct, that all scripture is inspired by God and that it's good for teaching doctrine. We could study this chapter, chapter 14, and we could study doctrine. We could look at the story of Melchizedek and we could learn about a type of Christ and we could understand things about uh, about Christ through this chapter. It's good for correction and for reproof. We could, we could learn the lesson here, right here in this chapter, that, that, that though our eyes may think something's beautiful, we maybe should step back and pause before we step into that wrong like Lot did. And it's also good for instruction in how to live righteously. And that is what I want us to look at today how we can live righteously. I believe in this story, there are actually principles that I've called principles for profit. In other words, principles for what we do with the material resources that we receive. Right here in chapter 14, God has laid out some, some points, some principles 
for the profit that we receive in our life. Verse 18, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, he blessed Abram and said, blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who, is, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And then Abraham, as Jonathan read in the scripture, gave him a tithe or a tenth of all that he had. Abram has just received an abundance of profit. profit. Verse 16 tells us, verse 16 tells us that he brought back all the goods. In other words, he brought back everything that he had and Lot had and everything that was taken and he brought back also the goods of the enemy. He brought back all the goods. The battle was profitable for Abram. And we read that the very first decision the very first act that he makes in regards to these resources is to tithe, is to tithe. Now, for those that may not have grown up in the church environment or those that may be watching online that didn't grow up in the church environment, a tithe simply means one-tenth or, or 10%. And, and, and the tithe is whatever we receive, then, then one-tenth or 10% belongs to God. And Abraham here immediately, the very first thing he does is he gives a tithe. Now, some of you did grow up in the church. Many of you did grow up in the church and you've heard many things on tithe, but don't tune out because there's other points to the sermon as well. So please uh, stay with me. But something for us, even those of us that grew up to think about is what is the very first move that we make when we receive our profits? When we receive our, what's, what's the very first move that we make? What's the very first decision we make with it? Is our very first thought when we receive that paycheck, okay, now I'm going to go pay my bills, right? Is the very first decision that we make, okay, now I'm going to set aside some money for savings, maybe for a college fund or maybe for that vacation, I'm gonna set aside some savings. What's the very first move that we make with the profits that we receive? Maybe the very first thing we do is like, man, now I have money, now I can go buy that thing which I like, that thing that I want. What is the very first thing we do? What scripture here teaches us through the example of Abram is in the very first story of tithe in all of scripture, this is actually the very first story of tithe in all of scripture before there was the Mosaic law, before there was children of Israel, before there was the Jewish nation, before any of those concepts or people appear on the scene, God introduces us to the principle of tithing. But, but the very first thing that Abram does, which is one of the key principles of tithe, is to give it to the Lord. His prophets, he takes a tenth of it and he gives it back to the Lord. He's blessed and in response to the blessing he's received, he pays his tithes. Are we, are you, am I, are we living by this principle in our lives? That whatever we profit, the very first thought we have in our head is 10% goes to God. He's blessed me, very first thought, 10%. He's blessed me, very first thought, 10%. Boom, just like that, God chooses, God blesses me. My first thought is, thank you, God, I wanna return to you this which you have is really rightfully yours, this 10%. Are we living by this principle in our lives? In 1941, there was a gentleman by the name of Claude Conrad. Now, Claude Conrad, for 
uh, there may be a few of you that actually know that name, but Claude Conrad was the st statistical secretary for the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. And Claude Conrad uh, wrote in Ministry Magazine, he wrote, he wrote an article, and he wrote this. Among Seventh-day Adventists, the tithe is considered a fair measure of the income of the church membership since, according to their studies, the average membership, the average member's tithe follows closely the government statistical indexes of national income. In other words, he said, as we look at the average member's tithe, we see that they are giving 10% of whatever the government says they should be making. That's what he's saying. He says, we can look at basically the general membership of Adventism here in North America, and we can see that whatever the government says is the general income of the nation, that 10% of that members are consistently giving back. Now, I know that there have been studies in the aughts and in more recent years that have shown nationally that only about 35% of our membership is paying a true 10% tithe. In other words, you could no longer look at the membership and their tithe and look at the government standard and see the same thing that Claude Conrad saw in 1941. In fact, I even looked at it locally and I thought about it locally and, and I was wondering, are we at the government statistical index of the national income? In Montgomery and Howard County, the average income per capita is $48,000, $48,000. Taking out all kids, taking out inactive members. I, I took, we have 1,900 members. I took less than 1,000 of those members. And at, and at those numbers, our tithe, if we were at the government standard index, would be $4.8 million. Our tithe is $3 million. So maybe even for some of us, there's room to grow in this area. There's, there's opportunity to grow in this area. And oh, just on a side note, in that same article, one thing that I found was interesting, for every tithe dollar given in 1941, 75 cents was given towards the missions of the church, towards the missions of the church. Interesting because now I believe it's for every dollar given, 13 cents is given towards the mission of the church. So it's something to think about. They were, they were almost double tithing in 1941, the average member. But our first principle of profit is that the very first thought when we're blessed by God should be, okay, one-tenth of this belongs to God. One-tenth of this belongs to God immediately. Decide first to give to the Lord a true tithe. Principle number two. Those of you that might have gone to sleep for just the tithe part, because you said I've heard tithe sermons before. Principle number two. This is, this is not a, a tithe point. Verse 21. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons and take the goods for yourselves. So in other words, he's saying, just give me back my people and all the rest of the material things that you have been blessed with, that you've received through this war, that you've received through this battle, you can have for yourself. I don't know if that was tempting for Abram or not, but I know for me that would be very tempting. It'd be tempting just because, I'll just admit it, I like to get money. Do any of you like to get money? Only a few of you? Next week's sermon will be on truth-telling in church. I like to get money, especially when that money is a result of work that I've done, risks that I've done. 
Abram took the risk, he did the work, he got the material possessions, and now that money is his. That, that, those resources are his. You fought the battle, the king says. You saved us all. You deserve all of these riches. You deserve all of these riches. But notice how Abram responds in verse 22 of chapter 14. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, he says, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say I have made Abram rich. At some point in time, we don't know uh, about it until now, but at some point in time, Abram has received conviction on his heart that he would not get rich off of anybody else. He wanted, he wanted it to be clear that, that God is the one that gave him his wealth. In fact, Ellen White, uh, one smarter than I, wrote many years ago, she said that there's another reason why he didn't want to take that money. She wrote that Abram did not want to take that money because he did not want to give them any occasion to think that he had gone to war for the purpose of personal gain for the purpose of personal gain. He didn't want anyone to think that, that, that he had just entered into this conflict and, and potentially harmed others in order that he could receive money. In other words, he didn't think he should make money off of war. Man, that'd be a good principle to apply in our modern day and age. I'm just saying on a side note, a good position maybe for us to think about. But the principle I see here in regards to our profits, our finances, is that Abraham had a conviction in regard to money and he lived by it. He had a conviction and he lived by it. He said, here's what I'll do to make money and here's what I will not do to make money. He had a conviction and he lived by it. I fear that the conviction in, in our materialistic world and, and maybe the conviction even in many of our hearts for far too many of us is that if there is an opportunity to get money, then it must be an opportunity from God. And that just may not be true. Abraham knew his convictions and he held to them. I would say to all of us, but I would say it especially to some of those young people that are just beginning to think about making money, have you already in your hearts and in your minds and in your lives, have you, have you thought about what your convictions are in regards to money? Have you thought about what you will do and what you will not do in regards to money? Back when I was in high school, I worked at this restaurant. I think I mentioned it before. It's now the defunct chain, Mexican chain, Chi-Chi's. Anyone remember Chi-Chi's? <clears throat> we can blame all of our Pennsylvania friends because all this food poisoning broke out in Pennsylvania and now the whole chain is defunct. But they still, no fear folks, they still you can still buy the salsa, and in my opinion, it's one of the best salsas that there is. You can go buy that at the, uh, at the store. But I worked at Chi-Chi's, at the Chi-Chi's restaurant, and I was a server there. And, and for those of you that have not worked in the restaurant industry, when you're a server, they give you certain instructions that you have to do, certain things that, you're require, that, they, that they ask you to do. You go into your room when you get there for your shift, and you're putting your apron on. And, and at Chi-Chi's, there was this tape player, a cassette tape player. I don't explain those to some of the younger folks. It was a cassette tape player. And, uh, and you'd push the button and it would tell you what side work you had that, that 
that evening or afternoon after your shift. And it would also tell you what you're supposed to upsell. You know, when people come to your table and they say, you know what I really like or what I think you'd really like, they're not doing that because they really care about you. I'm sorry to tell you that. They're just doing it because if they upsell, they get bonus, they get benefits, right? Well, at Chi-Chi's, the upsell was always alcohol. It was almost always alcohol. Maybe it was like, you know, sell our, our extra large nachos, but it was always like offer them uh, a special of two daiquiris or, or margaritas or, or, or make sure they buy more Jose Cuervo or whatever. And I'm working at this restaurant. I'm going in. I'm a pretty new Christian. I've been a Christian really for less than uh, probably six months at this time. And I begin to get convicted. Should I really be pawning out alcohol? Should I be encouraging people to drink alcohol? Well, I left high school and I went off to college and, and I... And I started to get ready to go back into the uh, server in business. I realized that I wasn't making any money anywhere else. So I went back into the serving business and I went and got applications and I filled out those applications and I handed out those and I turned them back in and I began to get phone calls to come and work at the restaurants. And suddenly my conviction, I was reminded of my conviction that I shouldn't be serving or pushing alcohol. And then I had another conviction because a lot of my friends said, well, don't worry about it. Just don't mention the alcohol. But then I had another conviction. Well, I can't really be a good employee. I have to be fair to the employer. This is what they're asking me to do. As a Christian, I should be honest to the employer. And and if I can't do that, I I shouldn't do it. And so instead, I took a job at this place called Super Salad, which is right there on Gun Barrel in in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And if you've ever been there, that's why you chuckled. And uh, Super Salad is a really low, low, low level No offense to Super Salad if you're watching, and God bless you, love you. Um, (laughs) Salad bar place. And so instead of making maybe $15 or $20 or $30 on on a tip at a two top table, that's just two people, I was making 50 cents maybe in tips at a table of 10 people post Sunday church and they leave their food everywhere and I guess they wanted to teach me patience. It was their Christian act to help me clean, to make me clean up their stuff. But, 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 but I felt right because I was living by my convictions. I could make more money elsewhere, but, but there was a conviction that I had and I knew that I wasn't willing to make money in spite of that. We should all think about what are our convictions in our businesses, in our workplaces. What is that thing that I will walk away from? What paycheck will I walk away from? What is it that I am willing to say, you know what, I will not do that. I'd rather not receive a paycheck than go against that conviction. Have you thought about that? Do you think about that in your lives? Or is, hey, there's money on the table. It must be a conviction. I mean, it must be from God. I'm gonna take it and run with it. Have we thought about our convictions? Principle number one, our very first thought when it comes to our prophets is 10% goes to God and then hopefully God will convict us as well about maybe other offerings and things. Second principle is we should know our convictions because the problem is if we don't know our convictions when we're confronted with those, often the easiest thing to do is just take the money. Abram didn't say, I'm making a decision on the spot. Rather, he said, I previously swore to God that I would never do this. He'd already, made that, he'd already known that conviction and been impressed by that conviction. And then the third principle, the third principle, and maybe it, 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 
almost seems to contradict the second principle. But in verses 22 through 24, the Bible tells us, Abram said to the king of Sodom, again, we read this before, but we'll read it again. I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich, except only what the young men have eaten and the portion of the men who went with me. And then he says this, Anir, Eskel, and Mamre, let them take what they desire. Let them take their portion, which relates back to principle number two. Here's what the principle number three is. Let your convictions be your convictions and don't judge others in regards to their profits. Let your convictions be your convictions and don't judge others in regards to your, their prophets. I love that this story ends with Abram taking this very bold position. I will not become rich off anybody else. I will not take anything from anybody else. I will not gain anything from this war. But you know, these guys that went with me, if they want to, go ahead and let them. This is my conviction, but I recognize this might not be theirs. What this tells me is that some convictions in certain settings are not universal. Yes, there are absolutes. I believe that tithe is an absolute. I believe sacrificial giving is an absolute. I believe good stewardship. There, there are good, good absolute uh, principles for our Christian ways. But there are convictions that there is not a clear, always thus saith the Lord, but that might be your conviction. Abram's conviction on maybe the war or even how, how, how people viewed how he got his wealth did not extend to those that were with him. He understood that what God was calling him to do, he must be faithful to no matter what. But he also understood that the others with him may not share that same conviction. This is important for us to understand because sometimes we see these stories, we see these things in the Bible, and we say, this is for everyone. I, there's this one preacher that I know of, his name's Shane, uh, I won't say his name, but he he's a, he's a, he's, lives in Philadelphia, and he wrote a book. And his book is all about how we should all be living by the call of the rich young ruler. In other words, he went to law school, he went to the University of Pennsylvania, and, 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 and he believes that all of us are called to give up everything that we have. Just give it to the poor and live in communal living together. That's, that's his belief. That's his conviction. And he believes it's a conviction for everyone. But the rich young ruler isn't a universal call to every single person. Otherwise, God would have said, Joseph of Arimathea, he only gave me his grave. He should have given me so much more. But God doesn't say that. He's appreciative for the grave. The, the, the grave. Abram understood this. He said, this is what God has convicted me of, but I will not judge what God has convicted someone else of. It is a principle that many of us should apply to our lives. As I've sat around tables at times myself and also others criticizing the prophets and how others are using their prophets. You know, well, if they didn't do that, then they could give more to God. If they didn't do this, well, then they could give more to God. I remember sitting specifically in one place and, and there was a conversation going on. This was in my very first church. There was a conversation going on about this one family that was, as some 
felt were severely spoiling their children and, and that they should be using their money for better means. Now, I couldn't say anything in that moment, but something I knew, although I did say maybe we should think about this, maybe it's not as bad as you think, but one thing I knew was that family was also paying for three other kids in full to receive an Adventist education. These people are saying, man, they, they could do a lot more. They should be using their profits for other things. They shouldn't be spoiling their kids. They're paying for their own kids and three other kids in full to go to an Adventist school. Do we say amen to that? But sometimes we're criticizing other people's profits. We should be mindful of this. Principle number one, the very first thing we should ask, we get a profit, God, let me bless you. Let me, you bless me, let me return this 10% to you. Second thing is, is we should know our convictions about the profits that we receive. We should know our convictions in advance and say, this is a line I will never cross. And I won't even get close to it. We should know our convictions about profit. And the third thing is, is we should recognize that our convictions might not be everyone else's and make sure that we are judging our own convictions and allowing God to do the judging and the convicting of others. These are three principles that I believe we can all apply in the world we live in today. Do you know the other thing about all three of these principles, and I gotta give credit to Tom Wetmore, I'm glad that people listen to my sermons and give me their thoughts afterwards. Tom Wetmore said, you know what, Chad, about all three of those principles is, is they are all centered outside of oneself. All three of them, all three of them. Look, this is not about me, Abram says, I'll give you the 10%. This is not about me, Abram says. I'm not gonna take all this and make it for myself. I wanna give God honor and glory instead. This is not about me. This is my conviction, but this is not about me. And these other gentlemen may need the resources. They're all other-centered. In this world of extreme materialism, if the people of God, as we're convicted by Scripture, as we're led by Scripture and sanctified by Scripture, if the people of God live by the principles of Scripture, then in a world that is very materialistic and very selfish, they will say, there is something different about those people and I wanna know why. And Jesus will become better known and better loved. Let us pray. Jesus, I pray that each one of us, each one of us will live by the principles of scripture that you teach us. Lord, there are some absolutes like tithe, like our offerings, but there are other things, Lord, that each one of us is convicted, convicted at different ways, at different times, in different places. Lord, help us to live by those and help us to live responding to your conviction to ourselves, and being ultra gracious to others as they respond to your convictions as well. We thank you, Jesus, in your name, amen.